Five double plays, terrible defense, a seven-game deficit. Are the New York Mets doomed right now? We dive into two ugly games against the Giants, look ahead to the series finale, preview the National Series, and try to keep some hope with 36 games to go. We are joined by a big Mets fan and Emmy Award-winning actor from Modern Family, it's Ty Burrell. Plus a trip to the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. So stay strong, Mets fans, and join us for a You Gotta Believe edition of Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Ooh, welcome back to Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Jake Brown here, depressed as hell over the New York Mets, along with former Met Nelson Figueroa. Follow us on Twitter at Amazing But True. Yes, follow the new Twitter, please. We're we're over 200, working our way to 300, and then 400, and, and so on. Yeah. Uh, so you can follow Figgy at Figgy NY at Jake Brown Radio. You know, my mom is a math teacher. She did teach me these things about numbers. You can subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Thanks to all the new listeners on board. We've met at games. People see the shirt are asking, what is that? And then you get the shameless plug and you say, scan my back uh, <laughs> in the non-weirdest way possible. Better than on the arm. The arm, it's like I have to flex when I do it because if I don't, then it's like a flabby fat arm and I got to flex for them to see it. Um, oh, so, so scan the back, follow us, subscribe, rate us, review us, give us a five-star rating. We won't give the Mets a five-star rating, and Ty Burrell's going to join us. We give that interview five stars. He was great. Mets fan, lived in Astoria, not Astoria, Oregon, although he is from Oregon. Uh, we'll join us later in the show for a fun interview. We'll take his trip to the Spanish Academy. But, Figgy, these two games on display in Queens against the Giants show you why one team is the best team in the league, and the other right now looks like the worst team in the league with the way they are reeling farther and farther away they're now seven games back of the braves they're seven out of the wild card behind the surging reds things are ugly double plays five of them terrible defense we'll get it to jeff mcneil cough cough uh, a brutal play where he looked lost awful no clutch hitting again not moving runners over bad defense a colossal blowout on tuesday where as soon as you show up the game was essentially over these games are showing you why the giants are so good and why this team is lights out good and why the mets look like they're out of it it's been a rough week and the 13 days in hell figgy could become uh what two and eleven if the Mets don't win on Thursday? Yeah, that's not exactly what I thought to have a competitive series versus those two teams. You wanted to at least try and win four or five, even if you could. It hasn't worked out at all in any fashion. I think the headline that I saw that I liked the best was how the Mets pulled defeat from the jaws of victory last night. And that's really what it was. They find a way to not win ball games. It's very difficult to sum up all the things that went wrong. Really, a gift run in the beginning with Pete Alonso coming up, bases loaded. And to have Pete Alonso come up in that ball game twice with a chance to really do something special and not be able to come through. Disappointing, yes. But again, you were expecting that same guy to keep doing it every single time. Chris Bryant hits a home run. It's one nothing. It felt like 10 nothing in that Of ball. course he hit a home run, too. The Mets killer of now course, who they didn't trade for. Our guy, our guy that we got you know, made an outstanding catch. 
but that's only one out. Their guy hits a solo shot to the moon right after it. And it's like, anything you can do, I can do better, right? So Bryant does hit the home run. He does make the big error, but it's not a big enough error to like be, you know, extremely game changing. If he threw it up the right field line, eh, three runs possibly score. But Pete doesn't come through in the clutch twice last night. McNeil is still a man on an island, if not more with his bat. Yesterday with his glove, that pop-up that he got turned around on, it was his ball all the way. Conforto had to run literally a 100-yard dash to get to it. Lays out full extension while avoiding McNeil, who got in the way. And he had to do that twice last night. Where you always start to worry because anytime Conforto dives forward, there's always a chance that he hurts his shoulder, re-injures his shoulder. And McNeil, um, did he expect, like, turned around to make that? He's not Willie Mays. He's Jeff McNeil. You're not making that but turned around. You, like, I didn't understand his approach there. No, that's the way that you have to make it. You almost have to make it as a wide receiver, you know, with a, a deep ball thrown over you with your two hands out there to catch the ball because you're not going to be able to kind of just snatch at it with one. It's an extremely athletic play. Baez is capable of doing it in his sleep. McNeil has the ability to do it, but not when he made the wrong first move. His reaction, if you watch that video, his first step is really slow and then he kind of just picks up Conforto running in like a bat out of hell and he goes to look for the ball finally the ball's already on the other side of him because it was a jam shot so inside out it from a lefty the ball's moving towards left field McNeil is nowhere near the, the vicinity but it was his ball all the way he just had to go back on it with a little bit more gusto like he could get to it and then listen for the outfielder to call you off so you can peel out the way just a bad moment to kind of be dwelling on how poorly you've been hitting at the plate and not being able to help out with the defense in that situation. It's a shame. We keep going with all the bad things, right? Walker gets pulled out with 74 pitches. That is something we keep crying for these guys to go deeper into ball games. He's in the seventh inning, mind you, with 74 pitches. And the two hits... Well, the first one was the error by VR Correct. and then the, the quote-unquote weak hits. Con- weak contact on the first one, which was the error, and weaker contact on the pop-up that should have been caught over the infield before the outfield. And now, within you know very few pitches... Walker is being pulled. You understand because it's the seventh inning. Normally guys are getting tired, but it was only 74 pitches. You've got to have a feel for, you know, hey, this is not the guy's fault. Give him an opportunity to get out of it, right? But when you're in desperation times, okay, I've got Aaron Loop. Because if he didn't bring an Aaron Loop and Crawford gets a double off of him, you're like, why are you leaving him in? And you know that, Jake. You would have been the first one out there yelling, why are you leaving him in? You well, he said after the up. game he was sta- he was going to loop no matter what, which is showing you that – He's not going field of the game. He's going analytics. He's going lefty-lefty. Walker was having one of his best outings of the year. Yeah. Let him go seven. In fact, if he gets to the seventh, you throw him out there for the eighth. I mean, I'm sick of Oh, I was going to go to loop anyway, even if Walker did get the outs. I yeah. mean, come on, man. And this is why they're chanting fire Rojas during the game. And he heard it, and he reacted to it after the game and basically said, there's nothing I can do. I've got nothing to say about that. Well, he's got a month left. He had the guy that he wanted out there. It's a guy who hasn't given up. He gave up one extra base hit to lefties all year long. He's given up 10 hits total all year long to lefties. They're batting under 160 against him. That's the guy that you want out there. That's the biggest moment of the game, possibly, right? First pitch is a breaking ball down the middle of the plate, and boom, game changes right there in one swing. Got the double, two RBIs, and you're sitting there scratching your head because Walker should have been able to handle it. He wasn't dominant. I like, I've read that everywhere, and you said it as well. Dominant, 
he had three strikeouts. Dominant is if he was ten strikeouts deep and they're swinging. Well, and dominant in terms, he's not giving up hits and leaving guys on like the Mets yes, were. Early, early, early contact is great because you want to get those quick outs, and he did a very nice job of that by not getting you know squared up very often, except for the Bryant home run. Uh, he didn't get squared up very often. Combine that with the base running blunders. Oh my God, twice twice to get doubled up in big moments where you're, oh my gosh, look, we got guys on base. It's like almost the guys on base are like, all right, this is second base. Where do I go now? They didn't know where they were going. And the loop decision, that won the game, but it's not really what lost the game for the Mets. It's the fact that, like we say, all these double plays. I mean, you start in the second inning, first and second, no out. VR lines into the double play. Third inning, Taiwan Walker gets a hit, and we'll get into the pitcher who gave it up and what he said about it. Uh, he gives up a hit, and then Alonzo grounds into the double. I mean, you look through, and fourth inning, Javi Baez lines into the double play. The base running blunder, another one. Sixth inning, Mazika double play. I mean, first and third, one out, our boy, Mr. Fielder's Choice himself. I mean, when we could have used a Fielder's Choice in the most, way that scores the third run and you know maybe we're going to extras and the Mets end up winning the game Mazika grounds into the double play inning after inning seventh inning Alonzo grounded the double play I've never seen so many double plays to end rallies even through with this Mets team this year and then the ninth inning the Giants like here we'll gift you by colliding into each other and dropping the ball and then yet Francisco Lindor comes in and swings at the first pitch terrible approach but I mean Come on. Why, Figgy? It's Francisco Lindor. Why are they not letting him go back-to-back days? I know he was hurt. He's good enough to come into the seventh inning. I don't know if this is coming from upstairs. I don't know if this is Luis Rojas. Whoever it is, whoever made this decision, this is a pennant race. I'm sick of guys not being able to go two games in a row. Two games in a row. Thursday, you want to sit him on the third straight after coming off an injury. Fine. But if this is the case, he should have had rehab games so he was ready to go multiple days in a row. This is a 162-game season, and you're going to tell me a guy can't go two days in a row? This is Francisco Lindor. He's very agile. He's in great shape, athletic. How is that the case, Viggy? And then his approach in the ninth inning when McGee is struggling, you can't swing at the first pitch. I mean, I know he got booed there. Probably didn't deserve to be booed. He's been out a while. But that was an accumulation of frustrated Mets fans at a bad approach. And we were hanging with Tim Tuffle, and Tim Tuffle was like, you know, I would love to be the hitting coach. like Because the approach with these guys is so bad, and these old-time players – hate seeing it you know I think a lot of old hitters hate watching baseball now because of these approaches and what these guys do and if there's operation number one it's the New York Mets to hate watching their approach because that was a rough ninth inning and a rough game to watch these guys approaches throughout the night yeah the approach is it is what it is the new baseball is teaching the swing up and try and hit the ball up in the air and and exit velocity plus in the air equals runs that's the new baseball math it doesn't put out a a very exciting product because they're sitting around just hoping for home runs and it's an expensive home run derby or batting practice for that matter with all the different things and the elements of the shifts and whatnot so it doesn't make for a very exciting product so that's something that's going to change i think very soon with baseball uh, and the new cba go to the ninth inning go to lindor swinging at the first pitch jake mcgee uh, last year was 97 percent first pitch fastball this year he's been about 90 percent first pitch fastball. So if you're Lindor in that situation, you get a first pitch fastball middle in, your job is to lose that baseball. Hit it as hard as you can. And if you pull it foul, you pull it foul. But he got jammed the heck out of. He knew what he wanted to do in his mind, but his body wouldn't let him pull the trigger. 
and he got jammed on it. And you know he was jogging as soon as he popped that up, thinking, why the hell did I swing at that pitch? My mind is telling me no, my body that's, telling me. What's the line? <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's literally what you're looking at is, is, is guys going up there now with the new analytics and saying, I'm swinging no matter what first pitch. I'm swinging no matter where the ball is first pitch. We've seen that from uh, uh, Mr. McCann. McCann almost gets hit in the face at least every other week, and he takes a full hack at the ball. It winds up hitting it with either the knob or some piece above his fist. Why don't you call I, I never, him Mr. McCann? Do you think he's Mr. Magoo? What is no, Mr. no, he's he's Mr. <laughs> he's Mr. McCann because he's mostly Mr. McCant, and it's been driving yeah. me crazy. So Ooh, I, I'm sick bird. <laughs> I'm getting uh, unbelievably frustrated by watching. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. When you're the New York Mets right now, because if they were striking out, swinging and missing, blowing these these opportunities with guys on base. We'd all be pissed off. Now they're putting the ball in play, and they're getting double plays turned on them, and we're pissed off. So uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't. But the, the idea is you have to be better. Being a professional doesn't mean that you try or try harder than an amateur or a fan. It means that you execute more times and more often than anybody else because you're a professional. You've done it this long. You have experience doing it. This should not be the first time that some of these guys are being asked to bunt in their life. Um, and it looks like that when they're up there. And I know how much you love the bunt. Playing small ball is something that this team has to do. And then, you know, every now and then when they do get a chance to hit the long ball, great. But I can't sit back and, and wait and watch that. Dom Smith pulls that double, you know, in the game and gives them the lead and you're all excited. But you sat back saying the same thing. Nine outs. The nine longest outs for the Mets season right there. Two bad plays in a row. Walker gets pulled. Loop throws one pitch. Game changed. Game over. One run. Just get one run across. I'm not as Jerry. <laughs> and the line was, my mind's telling me no, but my body, my body's telling me yes. Did you really yeah. have to Google that? That's I just awful. forgot. the. Listen, I don't want to have to quote that guy. He's out of his, he's a lunatic, That's but uh, awful. You, you, start, you started it. So. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger, jingle all the You're way. You're on fire to the, today. Like, to the reindeer. A lot of good movie references today. He's on fire. And here's what uh, people are looking at, Figgy. They're saying, if the 1973 Mets can turn a 58-70 and 70 record on August 26th, which is today, into a World Series appearance where they went seven games, maybe this team could do it. And I want to believe, and I'm trying to believe, and obviously I'll be there every day because I'm a sick lunatic. It's hard. It's just so hard to believe when this team keeps Double plays, new woats, not goats every night. Uh, Just worst of all times every night. It's hard to believe, but listen, this is baseball. As Joe Torre said to us on the Pinstripe Pod, they're trying to make an imperfect game perfect. Luis Rojas is learning that will be his ticket to a pink slip in a month, and you got those fire Rojas chants. Well, this team is sliding enough where he will be uh, unemployed. He'll get a job somewhere. It won't be. I doubt he'll be a major league manager immediately, but I think he'll be a bench coach somewhere. The starter last night we saw, and we could analyze this picture. You pitched in uh dominican with johnny cueto who made his return last night i have never felt more like a peasant with the gold shoes <laughs> and my hundred dollar chain when he's got probably thousands of dollars in ice on his neck and what i think are balenciagas uh if you want to give a breakdown of this picture and and how down bad i look uh unless you want me to give a, a break oh no 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 see the the thing is that before we walked up to cueto you were feeling yourself you thought you had game going on with the shoes and anybody who's seen Jake's gold shoes knows all about him. And don't worry, we will have him on the podcast Twitter account. So we'll show you this picture of us. But yeah, we were leaving the stadium. And uh, as we're walking out, I recognized Cueto, just walked up to him, kind of just stared at him for a little bit. And he kind of did a double take because 
it's been a while with long hair and a beard and he reaches out we we embrace each other start talking about you know old times how's he doing the family the whole nine yards and it's funny to see him and all his guys that were with him his family members that you know from the new york area all they kept talking about was man remember when you pitched for and i'm i'm gonna save it we'll no, save the team I'm name for the, the spanish team. academy i can't wait i am gonna have so when i pitched trouble. in the dominican with him the year before we won a championship then following year is when cueto was making basically his debut in the dominican league he only pitched there one year and then he was right there with the reds in the big leagues and quickly became a star so i smiled at him you know told him how blessed he was and how far he's come you know we were sitting there laughing and the whole time jake is kind of just eyeing his chain and checking out his shoes and wondering with all this stuff that i had and the bucket hat jake the bucket hat is really not a good look it's really not <laughs> people a good love look. it i've been getting you know, compliments i get it. It, it 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 keeps the sweat you know, hidden underneath there because it was so hot Eric, last not night. Not last night. Not last <laughs> night. I was, I was drenched. But yeah, it was good to catch up with Cueto. And uh, he was dumbfounded because he got pulled because of an error. It wasn't his fault. He got an easy ground ball to third base. And Brian threw And what was away. it? He, he didn't realize Walker, we said, told him that he was actually a right-hand hitter, but he changed to lefty because he got hurt. He goes, I gave up, I go, he goes, I gave up two hits to the pitcher. He goes, and I threw, you know, a fastball inside on him. I moved him off the plate. He goes, he still got two hits off me. I, and I had to make him feel bad by telling him that he, he's not really a lefty. He actually is a right-handed hitter, but he's batting lefty because he hurt himself swinging righty his face was priceless right he just had that wide like really he doesn't hit lefty so that that tells you like the state of the Mets where Walker is being praised for his approach and his ability to square up a baseball and almost hit Cueto right in the right in the forehead yeah he uh I'm sitting there in the corner they're they're all speaking Spanish I needed like a Google translate it was like and I'm sitting there like I wonder what they're talking about and then I heard like like one or two words I'd recognize eyes would be like, all right, there's a generic topic I think they're touching on, but most of it I could not uh, understand. But yeah, you look at it. I mean, you could see my just very white kneecaps, just the <laughs> non-stylish socks, the gold shoes. He's got like the perfect fit, tight jeans at the rip, but he's got the red like Balencia. He's got like multi-thousand dollar shoes. He's probably got like 20,000 on his neck. He's got the cool hair. He's got the shades. Meanwhile, I'm look at it. I'm drenched in sweat. The bucket hat is facing the wrong way. I don't even have the Mets logo. <laughs> at the front it's not even on properly my shirt looks like it's been through a ringer my shorts are approaching john stockton status they're getting mm. up there and he also had the arm out to make it known like get six feet away from me <laughs> or close to it he was strong arming me like a running back trying to get up the he middle for a one yard he, he had you boxed out in the post right there ready for a rebound yeah you guys are holding arm over arm holding each other he's like get the hell away from me <laughs> get mr sweaty back up yeah i'm drenched and, and the chain my chain looks like i i got it at the dollar store compared to him it doesn't even like fit well around my neck his is perfect and shiny i think i'm gonna get Johnny you the uh, i'm gonna get you the uh the kachi six nine shark rainbow shark charm oh, off no. of uh wish there will be no snitching here <laughs> on the amazing but true podcast no six nine all right ty burrell's coming up but we're gonna do a mini trip next to the spanish academy where we learn dominican republic baseball team names this could get ugly coming up next on amazing but true Bienvenidos, mis amigos, to the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. It's going to be a quick one today. Jake uh, happened to be with me last night when I bumped into Johnny Cueto. We started talking about old times and 
his entourage was reminiscing along with me at some of uh, my finer moments. Uh, I have four championships over in Dominican Republic uh, with two different teams. And one of them where I played with Cueto and uh, Jake heard, uh, thinks he heard what the name was. I'm going to let him start out and then I'm going to give you what it actually is. So Jake, uh, the team that me and Cueto played for was I don't know the full name, but it's something with Jesus Aguilar. It's like the Aguilars or the Ag- Aguiars, Aguiars, Aguilars, one of those. <laughs> Aguiars? Uh, Aguilas. You were, close, you were close in the beginning. Aguilas. 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 Yes. Aguilas. The second word is the tough one. Aguilas Cibayendas. CBNS. CBNS. Cinnabon. I'm thinking of Cinnabons now. It's the new candle I got. He started salivating. I'm I'm wrong with you. God, I need to find a Cinnabon around here. Uh, (laughs) I got the I got the candle on Amazon, and now all I can think about is uh, Cinnabon. Uh, Aguilas Cinnabon. Aguilas. See you, bud. Aguila, Aguila. You got me saying it wrong. Aguilas Cibayenas. Aguilas. You're saying it too Aguilas. fast for a Frenchman. Aguilas Cibayenas. Aguilas Cibayenas. Close. Cibayenas. Aguilas Cibayenas. 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 No. No, see your anus. No. What is going wrong? Aguilas. Hey, little, Agu- hey, little Johnny, stay focused. Aguilas Cibayenas. Oh, man. I, I, Say it again. Aguilas Cibayenas. Aguilas Cibayenas. I keep saying anus. You do. It's, 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 <laughs> your mouth. I, I'm not even going. All right. Next team. Next team is uh, actually the team uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. got his start with. Also, Robinson Cano's team. Uh, he was always allowed only about 18 at-bats per season. Um, so he DH'd, you know, like every other Friday. A lot of stars came off this team. A long history. They've only got one championship. But, man, it was a good one. Well worth the wait. Fernando Tatis Senior, former teammate of mine, former Met, he was the manager at the time and also works with the front office now. They are very simple. Las Estrellas. Simple for you to say. Las Estrellas. No, why, why? Why is it in the back of your throat when you're going? Las Estrellas. It's from yeah. my bar mitzvah. Las Estrellas. <laughs> It's, there's no Baruch Alatayan, no. <laughs> oh, we got to take you to the Hebrew Academy soon. That's going to be the fun I, one. My man, I went to Brandeis. That, that's, that's not an issue. A lot so of we got, Jews there? Yeah. What? It's a, is it a Jewish school? Look it up. Brandeis. It's, it's, it's literally like 70% Jewish. Oh, anyway, okay. so you got so we got Estrellas. Las Estrellas. Las Estrellas. <laughs> that's right. It's like, it? it's so painful. <laughs> Las Estrellas, Las Estrellas, Las Estrellas, Las Estrellas, Las Estrellas, Las Estrellas, Las Estrellas. Okay, so now I'm going to give you the full name of the team. Las Estrellas Orientales. Las Estrellas Orientales. Orientales. Las Estrellas Orientales. Las Estrellas Orientales. That's another bad money hit single. Let me give you the full name of the team, though. Las Estrellas Orientales de San Pedro de Macorís. All right. Well, listen. <laughs> now you're just jump. I'm going to jump off a cliff. I mean, come on. All right. One word at a time. Here we go. Las Estrellas Orientales de San Pedro de San Pedro de Macorís de Macarena de Macorís. <laughs> 
the macaroni. <laughs> oh, now the I need Macave- some the Machiavelli. Now I need some mac and cheese in my life. Oh Goodness my god! Me. All you think about is food. Dude. I know it's bad. It's really bad. Wait. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to talk to Mama Brown. She's gonna have no. To do please second. don't. She's already. She already wants to. She's like, how much can I pay you to go to no more games? I'm like one million dollars. She's like, all right, <laughs> let me let me send the check. <laughs> Las great. estrellas orientales de la Macarena. De San Pedro de Macorís. De San Pedro Macorís. De San Pedro Macorís. Oh, we'll give you just a pass. It's just right. a pa- Today was just a pass fail. It was a quick one. But thank you all for joining us for the Nelson Figueroa Spanish Academy. Jake, where are we headed next? Coming up next, it's Modern Family Star Emmy Award winner, Mets fan, Astorian at one point of his life, Oregonian, Oregonian Tralian. All right, stop with the languages. <laughs> it's Ty Burrell. Amazing, but true. Joining us now, Jake Brown here, Nelson Figueroa on Amazing But True is a two-time Emmy Award-winning actor, a five-time Screen Actors Guild Award winner. You know him from Modern Family as the Pops, Phil Dunphy. You can see him now, or hear him, I should say, in Duncanville, and the season finale will air Monday on Fox at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. He's been in The Muppets, Incredible Hulk, Black Hawk Down, Dawn of the Dead, so many other movies and TV shows, and he is also a New York Mets fan. Can you believe it? From Oregon. Let's welcome into Amazing But True right now. No relation to Pat, but it is Ty Burrell. Ty, welcome to Amazing But True. How are you? Thanks, guys. Thanks. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, the real betrayal there is that Pat went by Burrell and not Burrell. We we were just like, we were baffled by the Pat <laughs> Burrell of it all. That's why you weren't a Phillies fan. <laughs> That's why I ended up a Mets fan. Can't go Burrell on it. Yeah, how did that all come about? So you said you did live in Queens, but you're from Oregon originally. Explain the whole story for us. Yeah, so Queens is sort of like, Astoria, Queens was sort of like where all the... Uh, That's where I live right now. Broken, uh, I love it. That's where all the you know, actors basically start in Astoria. And we were there for 12 years. We we were just like after being there like three or four years, uh, we noticed that it was still like mostly Yankee fans. I don't know if things have changed. This was like the early 2000s. My wife and I decided to get on the Mets, you know, try to rep our 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 Queens turf, <laughs> and we became fans like right right around when Jose and and David came into the league like finally got to the big so like 2003 2004 so i it's kind of a weird place to be because you know we don't really i don't i'm not very versed in the real like the history of us winning any championships it's a short story (laughs) it's a short story we could catch up real quick yeah yeah but from then on we've been really hardcore like we have we watch pretty much every game it's it's on you know it's background noise through the whole summer um and this summer has been just a joyous beginning and a really really rough few weeks uh welcome to our pain yes indeed (laughs) ty it's been uh it's one of the things that I love to hear about is someone who gets a late start to their career. Talk about getting into your acting career at such a, a, yeah. a later age than most. Really what happened was my dad passed away when I was 21 and he was the one who was like, before he died, he was like, you should try this. Like he actually, I think he saw something in me that I didn't. I started in my twenties, which is pretty rare. Most people start acting when they're sometimes when they're kids, you know? So by the time I got to New York, 
I was already 30, you know, that having, I basically putting off the real world for 10 years, I would just, I just kept going to school for acting, which is, I, I was just clearly avoiding the terror of auditioning. So like if there was a, would have been a degree for like acting research, I would have, I would have pursued it because I just was so afraid of, of the real world. But I finally was forced to, you know, do something and I moved to New York and it was kind of, you know, it was kind of like a normal actor slog where just audition and I was operating at about a 99% failure rate. And then little by little, you start to get, or, you know, this is kind of like the traditional route. You start to get a little bit of theater. And then back in the day, you get, you know, your first law and order, which was like <laughs> your, it was like going to the D, yes. like going to the DMV for as a teenager, you know, it was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm in. And then little by, you know, it's sort of like piecing together TV, you know, guest spots and stuff. But I'm already, at that point, I'm already in my mid thirties. And I was, you know, job to job until I was in my late 30s. And then I got a couple of TV shows that, that didn't last. Uh, but luckily, the people that wrote those shows kept me in mind for uh, Modern Family. And that show premiered in 2009. And I was, you know, already 42. So, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a, an untraditional path for sure. But I just feel incredibly grateful and incredibly grateful to have that happen in my 40s because I was I mean, I mean I'm, an, I'm still an idiot. But I was a real, real dumb dumb in my twenties, and if, if 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 I had had that happen when I was younger, I can't even imagine you know, how I would how much I would have screwed that up. So I'm incredibly grateful. Was Law and Order your first big break, or did you have something before that yeah. where you took off? No, Law and Order. You know, it's hard to explain like what Law and Order used to mean to to us, sort of like hand to mouth actors back in the day it was it wasn't really a break because nobody it was you know it, it was sort of just a, it was a workaday show but what it meant was that you got your sag card the sag you know our union card and it meant that you got the residuals so you get like 2500 bucks i believe was the paycheck but then you get two more it would air two more times because it was just constantly playing and it would air two more times. So basically you had made seven or eight grand and that was just ridiculous. Like that's crazy money. <laughs> that was, you know, we were, I was used to getting like $400 a week at doing theater or something. So, so it was sort of like a rite of passage more than it was a big break, but definitely having it on the resume meant like, okay, he's done a television show. I would say my first, well, this sounds weird, but my first break really was getting an agent. The difference between having, an agent and not having an agent in the acting world is night and day but i would say like as far as tv goes it was my first sitcoms which were these shows called out of practice and back to you and they got me in the door for just for more stuff really i can't even explain how that really works like i think you really in the end that you have to get lucky i don't know if it's the same the same with you guys you know like i don't know that i can really trace my path and be able to explain it i just feel like you gotta you've got to work hard and and get lucky no without a doubt I, I think that's what i marveled at so much is that i was a guy who my first year i was 25 when i got to the big leagues but i didn't get my first guaranteed contract until i was 35 so it, you know it was a really long, oh yeah I, I didn't i didn't make a team for the first i I had 15 big league camps before 
before I made my first team out of spring training. I know? didn't know that. Oh yeah, no, it was it was it's was nev- the Mets the first team you made, Figgy? No, I didn't make the Mets team. That was the, the big Mets, thing. The big thing was in 2010. I was supposed to make the Mets team, and I was told the day right last day of spring training I was making the team, and then all of a sudden. They call me in the office, and I thought they were doing a – speaking of acting, I thought they were doing a good cop, bad cop kind of thing, and they're going to be like, ah, psych. <laughs> you know, you're on the team. They gave me this speech about it was a revolving door for the relievers, and we're going to send you down. We're going to try and sneak you through waivers, and, you know, you'll be the first guy we call up. And I had heard that song and dance, I mean, probably eight straight seasons, being like one of the last guys. Coming. Right. And then finally in uh, 2010, I wind up getting picked up off waivers by the Phillies and then the Phillies put me on waivers. I get picked up by the Astros and that off season in 2010, I finally get a guaranteed contract with the Astros. And that means that I'm making the team or I'm making the money. One of the two. So they were going to have to keep me. Right. Right. So yeah, I totally get that. And that, and that's a, it's a remarkable thing. And I, I, I wish I was on law and order. I love looking at, I love watching all the old episodes (laughs) and you see those actors. Oh my God, you know who that is? And you pause and you got to show somebody. Like, yeah, that's where they, you know that's one of the times they got their start. So I that's a, a great uh, way to break so in. What what year what year was it that you pitched that gym at City Field? Because City Field was pretty new, wasn't yeah. it? First year, oh nine. So it was oh eight. It was my first season, and I had my start, my very first start as a Met in two thousand eight, and then oh nine. It became the uh, City Field was uh, the last game of the season, and I threw the complete game shutout. And yeah, I made a, I made right. a lot of friends. I made a lot of friends in fantasy baseball because if you picked me up on that last day, you. <laughs> but but you still didn't have a guaranteed contract at that point. Nope. No, not at all. And, wow. and that and that was one of the things that wow. I, I was told. I was told that, hey, you know, we know what we have in you. I went into spring training and it didn't work out the next year. And then I wound up going a different way. But I, I totally get the struggle. Um, you know, Ellen Stardust Diner here in Manhattan yeah. is a very famous place for actors and actresses who are either between jobs or whatever. And they, you know, sing their butts off and it's a great time. But I'm very appreciative of the journey and I can respect that with everything. Yeah, there's a lot of there. I have found a ton of parallels between baseball and and the life of an actor you know that kind of a thing of like getting a shot and thinking it's your break and thinking things are going to be different and then going back to the slog and getting a break and and then going back to the slog and and realizing that you don't control the timing of it like you don't you just don't control the, the circumstances you may give your best performance ever but there are so many other things around it that you don't control it's a hard thing to explain to young actors like look you could give the best performance of your life you could and it could be even be a successful like run but it's a play and it lasts for four months and maybe nobody sees that play Mm -hmm. and the same I, i would imagine it's similar you know where yeah you may pitch your best game ever and then but you know at that that timing the window just isn't right i admire i admire your slog i mean and also your slog involved i'm sure did involve a lot of travel there's so many players that are just you know living living out of suitcases right he was pitching in taiwan yeah i listen my my oh my god that's one of one of the beauties of it and and where you really have an appreciation is that i was a kid grow up growing up in brooklyn and we didn't have a lot of money so my first time traveling outside of the state of new york i went to japan to play baseball, uh, Japan for two weeks, China for one. And I started thinking, well, if, oh I can, if I can travel because I play baseball, I mean, this would be great. This would be what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I was very fortunate to do that. But I, I, I get it. Uh, by the way, Utah, phenomenal. Great choice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
picturesque <laughs> ballpark over there in Triple A in Salt Lake City with the mountains. Oh, in the it's backdrop. great! Yeah, the bees, the bees. Oh man, they're, they're one, of, one of my favorite places to play. I'm gonna transition this into you and your athletic ability. First pitch, 2018. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Oh, okay. <laughs> he said it was fairly his nightmare. So. <laughs> Yeah. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? I, I got greedy. I got greedy. I had a first pitch in 2000. Oh my God. 13. What would it have been? 2013. Yeah. To John Buck. And that one, you know, I kind of just soft popped it, which I should have just stuck with it because he took care of me. And then, you know, weird, weird coincidence. I actually threw out a first pitch at that B stadium that you're talking about mm -hmm. in Salt Lake. And John Buck was the catcher again. Oh my God. He was, he was kind of, you know, segueing into retirement and he's from Utah. He just kind of played, I think, by his own choice a little bit. Like he just wanted to play a little bit in Salt Lake before he retired. And he caught my, the other first pitch that I threw out, which I thought was fine. And then I told my girls, my daughters who were at, City Field that night uh, in 2018. I was like, Daddy's going to throw a real pitch. And I went out and they were standing there watching me. And I just like, I overthrew in the craziest way. It was hard. It was hard to, hard I'm, to, I'm, hard watch, to, uh, I'm watching it as we speak. And yeah, it, it wasn't 50, yeah. 50 cent esque, oh, but it, uh, stop it. Went it a was bit very wild. 50 cent esque. You know oh, why? 50 cents hit the photographer. His didn't hit anyone. There was no one around that he almost yeah. hit. No, but listen, I, 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 I can feel uh, for uh, you because you only he was get just. One. Crediting your complete game no, and you're going to roast him now? Let me Come get on, to baby. my point. This is the thing. <laughs> With the first pitch, he has a – listen, I'm a major league pitcher, and I know I'm going to get, you know, at least 50 pitches to show what I can do. But as a guy who throws out a ceremonial first pitch and you got all the fans watching and you get one shot at it, holy nerve-wracking. I had to do it one time in my life, and I did not like it. I was like, if I don't throw it hard, they're going to boo me. If I throw it too hard and I miss, <laughs> it was a no-win situation. And <clears throat> one of my favorite things is I have a picture of Robert Gesellman. It was his first start as a Met, and I'm like digging out the mat, the rubber, you know, with my with my sneakers, trying to get traction. And he's looking at me like, "What the hell are you doing?" I'm like, "I got to throw this first pitch. I got to throw it hard." And there's a picture oh, of his look of really disgust funny. on his face, you know. And so I totally get it. Like you got one shot at it, and you know, it didn't turn out the way you wanted to. But if it was going to turn out poorly. Because it, it was like, okay, nobody talk about it. We still talk about it. And we well, it. it's funny because that's what happened with my previous first pitches. Is nobody nobody talks about them. So my my advice to anybody giving out a first pitch is don't get greedy. Just <laughs> just toss it. Don't worry about it. Nobody expects anybody. But I understand the pressure you probably feel to throw hard. But uh, I'm just a soft tosser now. Ty's like, you know, great complete game, Figgy. Figgy's like, your first pitch sucked. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I just said I know I could imagine the pressure of what he was going through. Speaking of Mets, Ty, we had a couple questions from Twitter uh, from Mets gal. What was the first Mets player you remember loving? I assume it was Reyes or Wright since that's when you started. Yeah, it was it was those two guys, but then it also became it quickly became Cliff Floyd. Huh. Um, I just loved Cliff Floyd. I always felt like he was underappreciated for just being a locker room guy. Mm -hmm. he, he mentored so many players, and I always liked his approach. It, you know, I, it was a cool time to become a Mets fan because we came in, you know, when when 
Wright and Reyes were there. So that was that was a blast. But all the players that rotated in around them, I think, you know, I was fans of Delgado and we became fans, fans of like Sean Green and, you know, LaDuca and all kinds of players that you just feel like are maybe not underappreciated, but just you just kind of love the way they play. Sean Green, one of my favorites, the Hebrew Hammer back in 2006. Oh, yeah. I yeah. I think he had four homers in a game once for the uh, for the Dodgers, I believe. That was actually for the Dodgers. He did, yeah. and none of them were off. Yeah, Spencer and we he, we were at, we had him a little bit towards the end of his career, but he was still he was just a, seemed like a very humble guy. Another one from Twitter from Drew PH twenty seven lowest point highest point as a Mets fan respectively. Well, highest point would be Andy Chavez's catch, and then lowest point would be Beltran striking out in the next. <laughs> wow! In the next frame. About a all, in, all in two hour span. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sums it up, right? Um, yeah, it kind of covers it, right? But, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of high points. I would say David's last push and getting so far with, uh, you know, it's basically, did we sweep the Cubs? I think we swept the Cubs. Yes. Yeah, so that was cool. That was really cool. Like, it's tough, man. I I, I, I'm, I have, like, the disease of optimism, which I, I really, I feel like it's a curse that I really, I believe that we're going to win the championship every year. I, I really believe we're going to win the World Series every year. I look at our roster and I just think, there's no way we're not going to win the World Series. Uh, <laughs> that's what we thought this year. Do, do you still have hope here on I, this that's team? That's what I mean. Well, yeah, I do, because I'm cursed with optimism. I, I think that with uh, Baez and Lindor in the lineup, maybe we finally get some offense. It's been a it's been a, just a weird year that we got so much pitching and we had all of these guys that really felt like you know really solid offensive players. It felt like a, our version of a murderer's row, and um, to have it kind of not really come to fruition, it's been weird. I mean, I'm sure it's weird being so close to the team like you guys are in terms of knowing a little bit more about how that works. But from an outsider's point of view, it just been baffling uh, if we really knew how it works we wouldn't be having a podcast we'd be uh you know in front office seats but the joy about being a Mets fan is you're kind of always rooting for the underdog and one of the things that one of the things you know you you've had the success with modern family and you've also had you know various other successes now as you your, ne- your latest show is in its final episode, season final episode you know what's next for Tybro? Um, I started a television development company, which which has been really fun and satisfying. I'm working with a lot of young writers, and I'm developing a show to perform in. I was I was a little unsure if I wanted to kind of possibly retire, but um, I'm kind of getting the itch again. And uh, I have a show that I'm that's going into development right now that I can't really talk too much about because it's you know we're just 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 about to take it out into the marketplace. But I think uh, it's feeling more and more like I, I may want to perform again. I, I, I'm sure this has happened in many, many uh, athletes' retirements, but feeling kind of burnt out on the on the whole thing and then, then being away from, from it for a little bit and, and sort of just feeling, you know, just getting the itch. I mean, I've, we've seen it with a million athletes. Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully I don't just, you know, come out of retirement to just pull a hamstring or something. <laughs> we'll see. The great part. The great part is, is that again, you look at what you've been through as a actor and, and all the success, and now you're going to the other side of it, into the production side of things. 
it's very similar to what's going on in Queens now, where the owner was a mega fan and now he's the owner. And yeah, right, right. That that's got to be that's got to be something that is, is is different for you with all the years of the Wilpons at the helm. Now you have a fan who's a who's actually the owner. He had a tweet just recently talking about the Mets ineptitude. You know, I noticed that you're not on social media at all. So, do you think that was a no. good thing or a bad thing? I'm not a fan of. I mean. Gosh, it's so hard. I'm not a fan of social media in general, um, but even though I understand that there's real benefits to it, I, I, mainly my life's just too boring to be putting out on social media. But I guess it's it's sort of like we're still a little bit in the experimenting phase of that version of social media with an owner. You know, generally, I guess, you know, it's, I guess I lean towards the behind closed doors approach, but I don't really know the dynamic there. And, and it feels like we're in, you know, new, new, new ground with social media in terms of that kind of, you know, communicating that way. So what's your guys' take on it? Well, we, we had a fiery debate over this and uh, my dad also agreed with me. Um, but Figgy believes yeah. that he yeah. should have, that Cohen should have did more at the trade. Don't let him make the team better. I said he's the owner. He can right. say whatever he wants, and he's accurate. The offense has been putrid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, yeah, right. Figgy argued he has access, and he should talk to them privately, you know, take them out for lunch, say, you know, is there something going on at home? What's going on? Instead of airing it out on Twitter. Right. I mean, the guy paid I, – I, I honestly, like, this is the worst kind of take that you can have because I'm basically playing both sides. But I, I understand if I – bought a baseball team i can basically say what i want absolutely um but i i guess i tend to lean more towards the like behind closed doors he's, he's on your side uh, that's so right and you let you and yeah. you and buster brown know it too <laughs> me and my dad will go on your side ty and you will go on the other uh, were, were you are you sad that modern family's over i mean 11 seasons is is pretty remarkable uh it ends right yeah. in the middle of covid do you feel like a sense of emptiness this summer, not recording, uh, filming any episodes? Well, I definitely miss my friends. That part of it, that part is uh, irreplaceable. I'm sure it's like, you know, the clubhouse. That that element of it is, there's no way to replace that. We, we just, we did become, you know, family after 11 years working together. And, it, and it's such a weirdly intimate way to work. You know, you're, you're constantly um, right in each other's faces for 12 hours a day. But other than that, I would say we kind of told the stories. I felt, you know, we we got we were lucky that we got to choose when we when we left, and that isn't always the case for actors or athletes or a lot of folks to be able to choose your exit. And we did. We actually collectively felt like we had kind of told the stories that we could, and the writers even had it harder than we did. You know, they they've been trying to really generate stories for 11 years and they did an amazing job but it felt right to wrap the show up and it still feels right that that part is nice to not feel any regrets it, it feels right it was the right thing to do we we could have continued the show on but i think we would have probably been running on fumes so in a year and we're not going to get the I, mj message of from Ty burrell saying i'm back and it's a press release uh <laughs> My, yeah, no, mine is uh, just, uh, it'll be, uh, if I perform again, it'll be a, a quiet, quiet reentry. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm doing uh, Duncanville, which I just love. It's, it's uh, an animated show for Fox um, on Sunday nights that I, I have a blast doing with Amy Poehler. And that has satisfied a lot of my uh, need to be ridiculous and silly. As for the show, I, I don't think we'll see a reunion show for Modern Family, but who knows? Well, they, know. they got a Fresh Prince and Friends, and there's all sorts of reunions. So maybe in five, right. five years, we'll see uh, you, Sophia, and the gang uh, reunite. What, what's it like with Duncanville and Finding Dory and 
preparing as a voiceover actor versus acting? Do you have a preference, and is your preparation for each role different? You know, what the, the, the biggest distinguishing you know factor is for me is that when you're on camera, you're doing everything you can to kind of keep it as small as possible, so that you don't that you're not looking ridiculous on a in a close up. And with animation, you have to you have to let it go. You got to let it rip. Like if if there's a camera really watching me record for Duncanville, it would look like I'm I'm uh, having a seizure. <laughs> it's it is not pretty to watch because it's a full body experience. Um, and it took me a while to figure that out. Like first couple of you know times I started doing voiceover stuff, they had to really like push me to like let it go, like get bigger and stuff. Because everything I everything I'd worked on was to kind of bring stuff down. But now it's just uh i just look like one of those inflatable things in front of a car lot <laughs> that's awesome being that you know you you started out a little bit later was there what actor that you worked with or anybody that you worked with in the industry that you were like starstruck by because i know like when i got to the big leagues it was like oh my god you know there's you know albert pujols or there's you know barry bonds i, mean, I can't even talk to that guy i've watched him in video games only so who's that for you oh yeah oh my gosh so so many. You mean that I actually got to work with? Yes, I got to meet even. I even got to meet. I mean, being at the Emmys must have been unbelievable. Oh my goodness, that whole experience when I first got to the to those sort of like award show situations, it was actually a little bit overwhelming because like all of my comedy heroes were there. You know, it was Christopher Guest and Albert Brooks and Steve Martin and you know just uh, Lily Tomlin and Whoopi Goldberg and people that like back when I was young and they were sort of in their prime were just like literally changing the way comedy was looked at perceived I guess and um, yeah that was overwhelming like I had I had fan moments that definitely gave me sympathy for people who are approaching me you know on the street because I remember being so nervous to go and introduce myself to Albert Brooks and Christopher Gatz and all the people I just mentioned you know when you're received with kindness by those people it just means the world to you you can catch ty burrell in the season finale of dunkerville monday at 9 30 p.m on fox he's a two-time emmy award winner from the classic show modern family 11 seasons phil dunphy's come to an end he's a diehard mets fan and he lived in Astoria. Next time you're in Astoria, <laughs> I am the king of Astoria is what they call me, Ty. So uh, I love he it. Calls I, him. I, I, the self-proclaimed, Thank I'm in Astoria you. Boulevard over there. So I love it. I won't give away my, my location for uh, for listeners, but uh, I know all the good food spots. So if you're ever back in Astoria, I will show you the best brunch, and that's a trestle in Astoria. So we oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, Astoria is the finest of food, so it's good to see uh, I, a fellow Astorian. And it and you said, it's it's funny, you, you said Astoria, and I thought you meant Oregon, because there's Astoria, New York, and then Astoria, yeah. Oregon. <laughs> Imagine that. No, no, we lived on, we were, for 12 years, we were on 30th Ave and 33rd, right next to the key uh, New York Coffee Bagel House, where I get my coffee every day. I'm going to yeah. go, go right there after recording this to get my coffee. So uh, that's where I, I love am. it. That's where I, I get, love it. That's where I do my food shopping at Key Food as well. So there you go. Uh, Astoria's fine. I'd love to hear it. Ty Burrell. Let's go Mets. Maybe we go on a miraculous run. Let's uh, go Mets. Great having you on Amazing But True. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Let's let's go on a run, huh? Appreciate let's do it. it. Take care. Appreciate Ty. it, Ty.
And that says hasta la vista, baby, to episode 81, the Joneshwi Fargus edition. We miss you of Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to you, Jake and Brian Mungia, for producing the show. Give Amazing But True a five-star rating and write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. For Nelson Figueroa and his Spanish Academy, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Monday following the Mets' three-game series against the Nationals. Enjoy the games. I'll see you at City. Gotta win these. Let's go, Mets.